Welcome to the To Faithful Men podcast. This project started in 2006 to preserve old sermon and study tapes of Wiley Flanagan, Hassel Wallace, and Mike Strevel. 2 Timothy 2.2 says, And the things that thou hast heard of me among many witnesses, the same commit thou to faithful men, who shall be able to teach others also. All right, now, there are three things. Uh, well, we might mention about this these three stones first. The jasper, the sardine, and the emerald stone. The uh, the sardine, uh, the jasper stone, uh, is pictured as a clear stone. In fact, most commentators think that this is a uh, the diamond. The sardine stone is a stone that was found near uh, and around the vicinity of the church of Sardis, uh, the town city of Sardis. And the emerald was a green stone. Now, in uh, Exodus 28, the first stone that was on the, the high priest on his breastplate, there were four rows of stones, three each. And uh, the first stone was a, a, a jasper. The last one was a sardine. In history, of course, the rainbow uh, takes you back to Noah's day, uh, and the rainbow was a sign and an emblem of God's token that there would all, as long as there would be an earth, the world would stand, there would be seasons of the year, cold and hot, uh, seed time, plant time to plant the seed, time to harvest it, see? All right? In other words, it shows, despite God's uh, uh, judgment, that uh, there was mercy, that God remembered. In the flood, the first thing that said Noah was still in ark, and you have this expression, and God remembered Noah. What if God hadn't remembered Noah? See? God remembered it. Now there's the mercy that God not only was saving, uh, saving, uh, uh, Noah, Noah was happy. He didn't, Noah didn't want to come out of that ark. That ark landed. And Noah stayed in that ark a long time before he ever came out. And he didn't come out till God told him to come out. But God remembered. Alright, uh, the rainbow uh, signifies uh, that uh, there's uh, uh, God's mercy, God's grace, God's pity uh, to man. The jasper represents God's holiness. The, the one on the throne is without spot. He's, uh, and the Bible says that, you know, that uh, God, and I'll read those passages to you, that God has clothed himself in light. Paul said in in uh, uh, first uh, uh, first Timothy chapter six verse sixteen that 
God is only half immortality. See? And that he's clothed in light. In a light that that is unapproachable by man. No man can approach unto that light. What does it mean? No man can look upon God and live. That's what Moses found out. Moses was so instructed in the Old Testament. Uh, so what God down on the throne is being pictured here as as light, you see. Through these stones. Uh, the the Sardis stone is a blood red stone. Uh, which speaks of judgment. Speaks uh, possibly uh, takes us back uh, to the innocency of Christ. It also refers to the uh, the judgment that God placed upon him and his uh, the blood red uh, re- reference to the crucifixion of Christ, his death. But the immediate thing, as we'll see here, that it's based on this, but the immediate uh, thing is that this scroll, is he's fixing to show us what's in the future. And the things that shall be hereafter are going to be Things that uh, come under the judgment of God, they're going to come under the holiness and sovereignty and the protection uh, of God. And at the same time, God uh, remembers. God has mercy. There's the emerald, the rainbow. Uh, There's still going to be grace and mercy. Those are the three things that that he, he gives us that here in these stones when he speaks about the attributes or describing the one, the nature of him who was upon the throne. But now, uh, first of all, uh, Isaiah 66, 1 tells us that the, uh, what is the throne of God? It tells us there that heaven itself is God's throne. Matthew 5, I've forgotten what verse down the latter part of the chapter, uh, heaven is my throne. In other words, swear not, swear not at all by man or by heaven. Why? Because heaven is my throne. And it's repeated also in the 23rd chapter. Uh, uh, It's not not the same incident. It's still at a later time. In the 23rd chapter of Matthew, uh, it's ref- uh, again referred to. I, I noted those uh, here. In fact, in, uh, Matthew five thirty-five and Matthew twenty-three twenty-two. You, you, there. Those are the words of Jesus that tells us that heaven itself is the throne of God. It takes all heaven uh, for the throne, so to speak. Now then, there are verses that tell us that the throne of God is in heaven. Uh, 1 Corinthians, uh, 1 Kings, uh, chapter 22, and verse 19, is, a, uh, is an important verse. Uh, with, not only with this part, but in the verse 4. Now, uh, verse, uh, verse 19, Hear thou therefore the word of the Lord. I saw the Lord sitting on his throne. And then here's a very important note that you want to remember in a minute. And all the hosts of heaven 
standing by him on his right hand and on his left. Now this is 1 Kings chapter 22 verse 19. Now here's a statement that says, I saw the Lord sitting on his throne. And that's not all. He saw somebody all around that, a host. Now, a host means, and all the hosts of heaven, standing by him on his right hand and on his left hand. Now, we want to remember that in a moment. But now, Isaiah 6 uh, and verse 1, you have Isaiah says that in the year that King Uzziah died, he says, I saw the Lord high and lifted up money. He was upon his throne. Uh, I saw also the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and his train filled the temple. All right? Uh, in uh, uh, Hebrews 8.1, we'll just use that and then we'll... I've got a lot of scriptures I could give you here. I've got them written here. Uh, but this will show you what the, the throne of God is referred to as being in heaven. Now the things which we have spoken... This is a psalm. We have such a high priest who is set on the right hand of the throne of the majesty in the heavens. All right. In Revelation uh, chapter 1, verse 4, and we have John to the seven churches which are in Asia, grace be unto you and peace from him which is, and which was, and which is to come, and from the seven spirits which are before his throne. Right now in uh, Revelation 3, verse 21, To him that overcometh will I grant to sit with me in my throne, even as I also overcame, and am set down with my father in his throne. Now that verse tells you where the father's throne is, but it doesn't tell you where his son's throne is located. Note, it, note that as we're passing. All right. Uh, Zechariah six thirteen, First Chronicles eighteen eighteen, Psalms forty seven eight, uh, or some other references that will and give you, uh, indicate that God's throne is in heaven. And yet, uh, Solomon said that heaven and earth itself could not contain God or his throne, you see. And yet, uh, here now, uh, John has, uh, has, uh, seen the throne and, uh, it's in heaven. Now then, uh, there, now, uh, God is not described 
But I want you to note uh, some uh, passages of Scripture. Uh, in uh, 1 Timothy 6.16, I referred to it a while ago. First, uh, who only, speaking about the King of Kings and Lord of Lords, the blessed and only potentate, who only hath immortality, dwelling in the light, which no man can approach unto, whom no man hath seen, nor can see, to whom be honor and power everlasting. And then, uh, Psalms a hundred, uh, well let's just stay in the New Testament for, we'll, we'll put that down, Psalm 142, but then notice John 1.18 and John 6.46. Uh, John 1, 18, uh, speaks of, about that no one has seen God at any time. See? No man has seen God at any time, only the begotten Son, which is in the bosom of the Father. All right, look at chapter 6 of John, verse 46. Uh, Not that any man hath seen the Father, save he which is of God. He hath seen the Father. All right, now, <clears throat> that is just to prepare you by way of uh, some passages that uh, depict the throne and the person on the throne. That no man hath seen God. That's the reason why he describes him in these stones, you see, in the light. He's clothed himself in light. Now, we come to verse 4. Uh, now, you see that uh, each of those three facts there is disputed by all uh, interpreters of the Bible. They dispute, uh, they say that this is a rapture. See, well, it says nothing about the rapture, yet people will say this is a clear Illustration of the rapture. All right, I have to deny that. Some tell you that the that the throne here uh, is uh, uh, the a throne of uh, of judgment. That the uh, that Christ is set. The uh, judgment seat is taking place. The uh, they're judged according to the works. Crowns are seen here being dispensed uh, according to their works. Well, there's nothing said in here about, nothing referred to here about the act of God that's on this throne, way of judgment. Not so far. Then uh, it says, all John, see, John sees the throne. He sees that it's occupied. And he describes the occupant of the throne, not the throne, but the one occupying the throne as a sardine stone and as a jasper stone. And then around about the throne was a rainbow. Now, that was a, uh, now whether that circle, was, a rainbow was horizontal circle or vertical circle, it doesn't say. People get in a big argument over that. Well, my personal view is that I think it's a vertical uh, uh, rainbow 
in order taking in heaven and earth, you see, because earth is still standing. If it was a vertical, a horizontal rainbow, it would just pertain, just encircle those in heaven, wouldn't it? See? I mean by symbol. Now, uh, but people will argue and, oh man, you're not in good fellowship with them if you, if you deny, uh, if you disagree with them on either one, any of these points. And then, uh, the occupant of, of the throne, uh, the, uh, the dispensationalists, uh, will tell you that that's Jesus. Uh, I rather think that the occupant of this throne is God himself. Uh, and we'll get to that will come out later in chapter 4 because the one that's set on the throne, they ask him for, well, now, who he's got a book. There's a book on his hand. Well, who's worthy to open the book? Who, who gonna, it's sealed out. Well, how am I going to know what's in that book unless it seals the book? Well, no one's found worthy. But then the Son of Man, see, the Lord Jesus. The Lamb, the Lamb, out of the tribe of Judah, he hath prevailed to take the book out of his hand. So I believe, that's the reason I believe it's God the Father uh, that's occupying the throne. But now, we'll get back to four, because, oh man, this is the biggest debate now uh, in the Bible right here, in this verse four. That, I've got books in there, I've got thousands of pages right in there that, uh, uh, that argues this thing right here. And... Uh, and they, when they get through, they say, well, I don't know just what it means. I can't be sure. But I, I, my, my, I, I can, I got some encouragement for you. I can be sure who these are. Now, you, 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 you wait for that now. <laughs> now, let, let's look. And round about the throne were four and twenty elders, twenty seats. And upon the seats or thrones, now this word seat, uh, you want to, in studying the book of Revelation, be sure to get you a revised version, uh, some orthodox sound version, not a modernistic type, but uh, that corrects the uh, antique words. Uh, uh, well, the revised standard version, not this, uh, the... The revised version of, uh, well, even the revised standard uh, is a lot better than a lot of people think it is. But uh, the uh, the revised version is uh, is, is a good one. How about the new Schofield I didn't care. No, uh, well, it it uh, it'd correct that. Yes, now that uh, the the uh, translations and the, those explanations are good in the in the new in that. In the Schofield Reference Bible. Uh, now, the seats, well, of course, uh, when you sit down, well, you sit on your throne, you know, that's the, the idea. That, but this is a throne uh, that they're on. And round about the throne, see, uh, were four and twenty seats, or thrones, and upon the thrones I saw four. And twenty elders sitting, clothed in white raiment, and they had on their heads crowns of gold. Who are they? Now, what difference does it make? I'll tell you what difference it makes. This will tell you whether you are dispensationalist 
are a post-tribulation premillennialist. See? Who are these 24 elders? Alright, the old ancient uh, verdict is that the elders represent now don't get what I'm saying that these elders represent the ideal church. Now, when you're studying prophecy, you've got to understand what uh, that expression, or you meet it frequently. The ideal. What does ideal church mean? The ideal church, now, John sees to them the ideal church. That doesn't mean that there's somebody in heaven, that the church is in heaven. Not when they say the ideal church. The ideal church is what will be after the fireworks. That's eternity. The ideal church is a description of the eternal state of these people that are in heaven. And that it's the church. In other words, that the, it's a resurrected church. Now, there's nobody. They, they admit there's no such thing as ideal church. We have a real church on earth, see. But now when the ideal church becomes a reality, it will be after the second coming of Christ and the resurrection of Christ from the dead. Now that's the old... Uh, you, you read any old book, nearly all, more of the older commentaries, that's, uh, that's the uh, usual conclusion. All right. But uh, that doesn't bring too much fireworks. But now when a group comes along and tells you that the, that the 24 elders represent the church and the church being the bride of Christ and being only the dead since Pentecost and the living when Christ comes secretly and snatched them away up in verse 1. Of course, you, can, I, you have to read that pretty hard there, and you have to assume it uh, and presume that uh, the rapture occurred between uh, verse 22 of chapter 3 and the opening of chapter 4. We don't, you don't read about it. Even Dr. Wilbur said that uh, you have no authority to interpret the 4-1 as the rapture. But yet, he says, I believe it to be the rapture. See? Now, now notice, if you assume the rapture has taken place in verse 1, when John was caught up into heaven, all right, now then, from verse 4 to chapter 21, you read, you don't have any reference to the church by the word. From chapter 4 to 21. This bunch, dispensationalist says that the church is caught up into heaven, therefore you don't read about it anymore. See? Now if you can assume that the church was caught up, you can assume that uh, it's in heaven. See, you can, you'd still have to assume it. 
even though you don't uh, read about it, whatever, uh, with reference to the, the expression of the word, the word itself, uh, you you can assume then, well, well, where is it? Oh, it's in heaven. Fine, because the rapture is taking place. The rapture has come before the tribulation. Now, everything that happens from here on out now, we're on tribulation ground. Now, you see why it's so important for them to have two comings, one before the tribulation? That's secret. And one after the tribulation. Now, uh, when John goes up, they say that represents the church going, being caught up into heaven. All right, after they get into heaven, they are uh, not seen as the church, and they don't tell us why, but God gives them a new name. He gives them a new identity, and he identifies them as 24 elders. Well, now, uh, uh, that, that's... Uh, that's what they, that, that's who the 24 elders are as far as dispensation is concerned. It's the church. And then by the word church, they mean all of the redeemed. Now, I've got a little news for these dispensations. The word church is used in the first three chapters 20 times. Not one time does the word church refer to the redeemed other than a local town, a church. And that's the only thing that's in the Bible is a church. It is local because it's a symbol. These letters, uh, this letter was addressed to the seven churches, plural. But when he identified one, he says, to the church. At Ephesus, to the church at Smyrna, to the church at Pergamos, to the church at Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, and Laodicea. At the end of each uh, message, he that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches, plural. Well, what did he say just... Let he that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the church of Asia. Or the church. There's no such thing known in the Bible. This, but that's not, uh, that's nothing, that's not hard. Anybody that's going to assume that the rapture, that Christ has come back between, uh, uh, between the verses here, between the lines, if they can assume that he's come back and the resurrection has taken place, the change of the living has taken place, and the resurrection uh, distinguished between the, the Old Testament saints and the New Testament saints. Why, anybody that can assume that, well, there's no trouble to assume uh, that uh, they're now called the 24 elders. Uh, it's just as easy to assume one is that. Now then, uh, the, if, if at this point a man, anyone defines or dis, uh, tells who these are, uh, without uh, studying the uh, the all of the scriptures that refer to the twenty four elders, they are referred to in the Bible twenty, I mean twelve times, twelve times in in the Revelation, and only in Revelation, and the number 
24 is only refers to these elders. In, of course, uh, it's the only number, uh, only way in which the number 24 is referred to is to these elders. Now, uh, in chapter 4, verse 4, that's where we are now, verse 10, verse and chapter and um, chapter five, verse five, verse six, verse eight, verse eleven, verse fourteen. Then in chapter seven, verse eleven, verse thirteen. Chapter eleven, verse sixteen. Chapter fourteen, verse three. Chapter nineteen, verse four. Now they are the that is the only time that. This group is referred to in the book of Revelation. And now, who are they? The ideal church, some say. Okay? Meaning all of God's people of the Old Testament and of the New Testament. They are seen after the resurrection. They are seen as they are in glory. After the eternal state. It's there, it's the hereafter for the saints. Then the dispensationalist says that it, uh, they are the, uh, the church from Pentecost onward. Now, there is another view. And, uh, and this view says that, uh, uh they represent Angels. Well, now let, let's uh, let's look at that claim. There's uh, there's no there's no doubt about uh, now in first in first Kings while ago, chapter twenty two, verse nineteen. Uh, I, I call attention. I want you to remember that second clause. Why? Because uh, he saw God. On his throne, and all the hosts of heaven, all around the throne. Well, now there's somebody in heaven before Christ was born in Bethlehem. One. And there was a great host in heaven. All right. Let's uh, let's look at uh, uh, some some of these references uh, that seem to indicate that uh, who the twenty four elders are in uh, Matthew twenty eight. Now notice the, the there are two characteristics. There's two description about these elders. They have on white garments. They have crowns on their heads. That's uh, that's all that's uh, that uh, said about them. Now, Matthew twenty-eight three, and of course, this Matthew twenty-eight is a chapter of the resurrection, and verse three speaks about the person that came and, and rolled back the stone from the door 
There are only two. And it describes him by saying his countenance was like lightning and his raiment white as snow. His countenance was like, uh, white, see? Uh, all right, now, in each of the Gospels, you have a record, a reference, uh, to angels being clothed in white. In Mark chapter 16, verse 5, And entering into the sepulcher, they saw, that's Mary Magdalene and Mary the mother of James and Salome, they saw a young man sitting on the right side, clothed in a long white garment, and they were affrighted. Then in Luke 24, uh, verse 4, And it came to pass, as they were much perplexed thereabout, behold, two men stood by them in shining garments. Then in John 20 and verse 12, you have... Another reference. And seeth Mary, that is the one that was, uh, she stooped down and looked in the sepulcher, and seeth two angels in white, sitting the one at the head and the other at the feet, where the body of Jesus had lain. And then, in Acts chapter 1, verse 10, And while they looked steadfastly toward heaven, as he went up, behold, two men stood by them in white apparel. Now then, <clears throat> that is sufficient evidence from the scripture to show that the 24 elders... Uh, could be classified possibly as angels because, I mean, by identifying their garments in white, you see, by wearing white garments. All right? But, uh, now, the, uh, the ministry which these 24, the diadems, the crowns, uh, are indicative of their rule. Now, the dispensationalist says they are, they indicate their rewards. The, uh, the dispensationalist goes to 1st Timothy, uh, chapter 4, and, uh, and, uh, that's and they show, uh, claim that this picture now, the 24 elders represent the redeemed after they have received, after they've been to the judgment seat, the judgment seat of Christ, which took place in heaven, and as a result, they received crowns. And then they were crowned, you see, uh, according to 
Now, verse, uh, it's chapter, it's second chapter four, isn't it? Second chapter, second chapter, uh, second chapter four, yeah. Alright. I charge thee therefore before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall judge the quick and the dead at his appearing and his kingdom. Now, according to that verse, it takes place at his appearing, doesn't it? Preach the word, uh, alright, drop on down to, uh, to verse 8. Henceforth there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give me at that day, and not to me only, but unto all them that love his appearing. Alright, you see the uh, the uh, dispensationalists now tells you that the 24 elders, they are the redeemed, having been judged at the judgment seat of Christ, having received their rewards, they are wearing their crowns uh, in heaven. This is a heavenly view of the, uh, the church, as they call it. Now, uh, but let us, uh, uh, let us look further at uh, uh, the... Uh, for an identity. In Psalms 89, and verse 7, this verse uh, in Psalms will God is greatly to be feared in the assembly of the saints, and to be had in reverence of all them that are about him. Now, this is a heavenly view, and this is uh, what uh, the psalmist, the way he speaks about But it's a, a host, the assembly of the saints, that's not, that's not human beings, that's saints, that's holy ones, that's heavenly beings. That's the host that, uh, that Micah saw in 1 Kings 22:19. see, a heavenly host. Now, alright, now when we study, as we, as we study the rest of the chapter and, uh, and through the 12 references, we want to show you that they don't represent anybody. Now, where do they get this idea that uh, they are representing here? This idea that John represents the church, that's a fallacy. That's, that's a makeshift. That's a make-believe. That's an assumption. All right, if I say that these 24 represent the church... Or if I say they represent anybody, it's just my assumption. The 24 elders are 24 elders. That's the reason. I know they are. The Bible says they are. 24 elders. It tells us what they do. Now, the Bible tells you that there is a great host uh, of heavenly beings. Uh, in heaven. 
the angels, the Bible speaks of them as innumerable. Thousand, ten thousand, ten thousand of them. All right? Now let's see. The, the four and twenty others. They are angelic beings. They are heavenly beings. They are, they're the people, they're, uh, creatures, living beings that God created and made in the beginning. They fear heaven. Thank you for listening. Don't forget to subscribe and share with a friend. Be steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. For as much as ye know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord.